If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're speaking with Kevin Patterson, creator of the Poly Role Models blog and author of the upcoming book, Love is Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Uh, This was a, a fantastic interview. I'm excited to get to it. But first, let me tell you a little bit about who Kevin is. Kevin Patterson is an active member of the Philadelphia Polyamory Community, He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since 2002, and uh, in April of 2015, Kevin was inspired to start Poly Role Models, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. Polyamory Role Models is part of a drive and a desire to change the way that our lives and communities are viewed. It's currently the most diverse and inclusive platform for polyamory available. In addition to writing the book, Kevin also holds speaking engagements nationwide about how race and polyamory intersect. And actually, we are both going to be at the same conference, which is the Southwest Love Fest in Tucson, Arizona, which is this is the first the first year they're doing it, the inaugural edition of it, uh, and that we will be presenting a couple workshops there. And so will Kevin. So I hope that uh, if you're anywhere in that area, get your tickets and come see us there. We'd love to see you and have you be part of that. We also ended up talking about video games a surprising amount during this interview. So if you enjoy that, you have that to look forward to. Stick around till the end to get to the video game section. All right. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, totally. So um, during this interview, we're probably going to talk a lot about your book that's coming out at the end of March here, uh, which is called Love is Not Colorblind. And uh, I wanted to start out by saying that um, from the, the review copy that we all got to read, um, one thing that, that of all the stuff we've read, something that really pleasantly surprised me about this is how succinct it is. Like I found myself being like, okay, I got to get through this book for this interview so I know what to talk about. So I'm going to kind of skim through it. And I ended up not skimming it and actually just reading it because it was like, everything was presented in such a way that was so well thought out and well worded and very clearly worded. It wasn't a lot of filler. And I, I just really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Hey, thanks. Um, I, I, I save my filler and my long windedness <laughs> for actual conversations. Um, <laughs> when I, when I write, I just sort of get to the point. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Is that, is, that a, is that a warning for conversations with you? I mean, trust me, if you're actually having a conversation with me, I've got lots of wild arm movements and I'm moving around a lot. So like, I, I keep you fairly entertained during the conversation. So it's, not like a, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Love That's it. awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, no, hmm. but, but I wanted to build on that, Jace, because is, is, I found the, literally the same exact experience yeah. where I was like, oh, this actually is really easy to read and really accessible. Um, And I think that's why, you know, I really want to stress to our listeners that uh, definitely to pick up the book. And I think also any of our listeners out there who are interested in creating any kind of meetup group or discussion group or community event or anything like this, I think this is required reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we get, we get so caught up in uh, just trying to, create a viability for for our events for our meetups our communities our discussion groups our happy hours our potlucks that we end up not really looking at the demographics and not really examining yeah. the demographics and it's so easy to to get caught up in that where polyamory it's it's small it's a it's a niche you know it's a it's alternative sometimes you just want to get 20 people to your happy hour and you're not really paying any attention to what those 20 people look like Mm -hmm. and you know and that's something that we all need to pay more attention to because there are people you can be leaving out whether that's intentional or not yeah absolutely right Right. definitely definitely so to start out there was something that um 
I just wanted to bring up because I don't think it's a distinction that we've ever made on this show before that we've talked about this. And you do a really nice job of summing it up at the beginning of your book. Uh, and that is uh, the difference between racism, racism and race-based discrimination. Uh, and it's something I've found has been sort of at the core of a lot of arguments that I see online between well-meaning liberal people uh, who are using the term racism to mean something slightly different from each other, uh, right? The like some people, like usually white people using racism, racism to mean race-based discrimination, whereas people of color are using racism to mean systemic, you know, ongoing oppression of a particular group of people. And I was wondering if you could uh, just kind of clarify that for us like you did in your book. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of just said it right there, huh? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I wanted to make sure that I started the book with a real explanation of that because if nothing else, it sort of um makes sense of the issue um in terms of sort of resources and representation where if you talk about like individual instances of race-based oppression or race-based uh prejudice, mm -hmm. you take away from the conversation about um institutional systemic oppression and they're not the same thing. They might look the same to someone who's not paying not, pay, not paying a whole lot of attention. It might look the same to someone who doesn't want to have the hard conversation about uh, mm -hmm. systemic oppression, but they're not the same, and you can't really approach them the same. You know, it it sucks when somebody treats you poorly because of your race or what have you. But that you know, I just walked a I just walked a partner to the bus a few minutes ago and as I'm walking back it's cold outside I'm wondering whether or not I should put my hood up because mm -hmm. the people who are assigned to protect and serve me they might mm -hmm. see a guy walking fast through the cold with a hood up and that might turn into something that it really isn't that's something really important you know that's that's that is different than somebody doesn't like me because I'm blah 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 race those are two right. different things and you can't approach them the same way and yeah. it's something that sort of it permeates all of American society. So it you know you, it needs to be examined the right way. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think I feel like at least in America, uh, you know, when you go and look at like our childhood, many of us, our childhood education around racism in the states is so very much this like tit for tat. Mm -hmm. You know, no one should be judged by the color of their skin. Everyone should be equal. Everyone should be judged on their merits. And the unfortunate byproduct of that being, I think, like you addressed in your book, being that just talking about race at all becomes this taboo subject that no one's willing to talk about um, because that's the definition that gets handed to us. I mean, it ends up being sort of a, it ends up being sort of a smokescreen. It ends up being sort of a, um, a curveball to, to sort of derail the argument and, and obscure what we're really trying to solve, what we're really trying to fix. And then um, it's it becomes such it becomes harder to have the conversation when you don't feel like the people who are have, you're having the conversation with are being when you feel they're being disingenuous about uh, about the topic where. If I'm saying, hey, this is my experience as a black man in America and it's different than your experience as a white person in America, if you're trying to make, if you're trying to say, well, we're, we have the same experience, we're not arguing on the same level. We're not having mm -hmm. the same debate. You know, you're not believing me when I'm telling you that my experiences are different than your experiences. And that makes the conversation so difficult to have. So I wanted to make sure, like at the beginning of the book, that I explain when I say racism, I'm not talking about the guy that said, you know, fuck you, Whitey, because he was mad. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I have a lack of resources. I have lack of access to resources or um, or education about one thing or another because of systemic oppression. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's such an important yeah. distinction to make, and and I'll be honest, it's one that I don't think I really understood until just earlier in this past year. Finally, read an article that that made sense to me that clarified that difference because you know I went to. A very liberal college but that was almost all white people and so it's mm -hmm. like we're having these conversations but we're missing a pretty fundamental distinction there distinction, I guess, yeah. about how to talk about it and yes. what racism really means and the difference between those individual experiences and the more you know like you said the more systemic ones 
and we all, and we all have to, we all have to sort of come to that that point of learning and everyone sort of has to hit hit it from its own angle and i talk about it in the book where for me it was a matter of like me understanding it by way of sexism was me mm-hmm. understanding it through my own experiences with racism mm-hmm. where um and I can't remember. I can't remember who I'm. I think it was Brianna Wu who, uh, um, who was like a main target of GamerGate back at, um, back when oh, that was yeah. sort of in full force. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's she's a friend of mine. We've been online friends for like over a decade. And I saw somebody's talking to her about race or about um, misogyny and rape culture, and it sounded so much like the way people talk to me mm. when I talk about race. Like the same circular logic, the same dismissive tone, the same sense that when the conversation was over, they were just going to go back to their lives and not not think about anything I said because it didn't really affect them in a personal way. When I saw somebody doing that to a woman, I was like, wow, that's what I've been doing to women. Wow, that's what people mm. do to me about race all the whole time. Maybe I should be listening listening to what they're going through and understand their situation better because I don't want to be that guy because I know how it feels being on the on the opposite end of that mm, yeah yeah and I so yeah, appreciate actually, that you said yeah, that. that's a perfect segue yeah yeah no I mean I really appreciate that you said that this this book is um like Dedeker said I think really required reading I talked to my mom all about it this morning on my drive to work because I wow. just thought it was it was so meaningful and really really awesome um it, I I want to bring up this one quote, which I feel like you should say, but I, you don't have it in front of you, so I'll say it. Um, but but it's uh, you said near the beginning of the book, one of the main problems at the intersection of race and polyamory, and really at the intersection of privilege and oppression, is that we don't always know what we're doing. We don't always stop talking long enough to listen, and we're often far too scared or too defensive to learn uncomfortable truths about ourselves and our behaviors. And it's really interesting because you just brought that up about yourself, which I really appreciate that you are able to look at yourself and it it causes the reader to want to look at themselves as well when they read this book. So I think it's yeah. incredibly important. Um, yeah, learning, learning those things... Yeah, those things sucks. Like, (laughs) yeah, and it does. And and I mean, it's interesting because when you're when you're in a polyamorous relationship, you're forced to look at those things over and over again about yourself, about the way in which you look at relationships or your own insecurities. And so, it was interesting to me reading this book because I have thought in the past, and my viewpoints have now changed maybe a bit, but that like people who are polyamorous just automatically are people also who want to like learn a lot of themselves and become more enlightened and do all of those things but the two don't necessarily jive together it do- it may mean that that is the case but it they may be leaving out other things in addition so the stuff that you talk about for example yeah, like there's the like, like you said, like polyamory is really big on owning your shit. Yeah, you know, that's really big on emotional literacy and figuring out. Well, I feel jealous, so I should, you know, I should approach jealousy this way. But that's that's a lesson you can bring to every aspect of your life. Yeah, and you know, I know there have been times where I've said things um, to people with different experiences than I have, and then like years later, I I think about it, or not always years later. Sometimes it's like later that afternoon, and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, I said that, and that was terrible. I need to do better. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know better now. I need to do better, and it's 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 hard because you don't want to think everyone wants to think of themselves in the nicest sweetest terms possible everyone wants to be the hero of their own story and sometimes a hero messes up and you just got to learn grow and get better at it yeah i it it did definitely make me think like oh shit people from the examples that you gave even though people may be thinking about their own insecurities they're not necessarily looking at their lives in this fashion and saying like maybe i'm a cause and continuing the systematic oppression based on race and that's really something that people should be looking at clearly yeah we we all we all need to take that we all need to take that look like if you if you fall into any privileged class you have to observe how that plays out in every aspect of your life how many barriers you don't hit as a result of you know like me being male me being cisgender me being heterosexual mostly heterosexual you know (laughs) it's um there are a series of barriers that i just 
don't run into. And it's easy to just not think about them and assume that everyone else has those same experiences. But like, I know what it is based on race. Like, I know when I walk into a store, there's a series of looking at, I've got to look around. I've got to sort of scan the landscape because I don't know whether or not I'm going to be followed around. I don't know, you know, um, if I pick something up, like if I get a cup of coffee somewhere and I take a sip of that cup of coffee on my way to the counter to pay for it, I don't know if that's going to cause an argument with the guy at the counter or not, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. like bas- basic stuff that shouldn't matter and doesn't matter for other people. I've got to pay attention to just through that one filter. And that's sort of, that's something I have to pay attention to on the opposite end for all the ways that I'm privileged. I know that like I'm not going to be spoken over in ways that women are. I know I'm not going to have to worry about which bathroom I'm going to based on my gender expression. Just, you know, I know I don't have to worry about talking to um, a coworker and mentioning my spouse and that lead to me being ostracized or fired cuz I mean I'm I'm mostly hetero. Most of my partners are 100% women and that's not going to cause an issue. If I say, hey, my spouse, hey, my partner, no one's going to look at me funny or threaten my employment, threaten my freedom, threaten my safety as a result of that. Yeah. So I, I want to I keep talking about this topic of kind of doing that uncomfortable work of, of examining one's own privileges and, and examining the different ways that other people are oppressed because like M mentioned, you know, uh, and like you mentioned also, Kevin, that in polyamory, we're so encouraged to own your shit, to look at those uncomfortable things when uncomfortable feelings of insecurity or jealousy come up, like look at them, sit with them, figure them out. And I can say from my own personal experience and also from my experience working with clients is that most people really suck at that, at least at first. (laughs) Um, You know, they really suck because it's understandable. People want to get, like, people want to protect themselves. They want to make their partner wrong in some way. You know, they want to kind of take that burden of discomfort off of themselves. And so then to also extrapolate that to this topic, um, you know, to get people to sit with their discomfort without getting defensive. Um, Mm. You know, you mentioned that you do workshops and you also, you had this wonderful quote in the book that you said, you know, you don't get to enact social change from a comfortable spot. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, how do you approach that? Because I feel like it's like human beings, when it comes to getting defensive, when they're just, when they're uncomfortable, it's just so unavoidable. And to actually get people to kind of do that work of sitting with our discomfort feels like such an uphill task to me. There's um there's a quote that I'm going to paraphrase poorly um, that says something to the effect of, you have to love people in the way that makes them feel loved. Hmm. And that's something that I hmm. keep in the back of my head all the time. Um, I see in online arguments all the time, someone will say something transphobic and a bunch of people will say, hey, that's transphobic. And they'll say, no, I don't have anything against trans people. I just think that blah, 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 transphobic thing. It's like, okay, yeah, we get what you're saying, but that is a transphobic thing you're saying. You are harming trans trans people. And they'll say, no, no, no. I'm not harming anyone. I'm not transphobic. Just I, I believe blah, 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 transphobic thing over and over the same circular logic. And if you're trying to be friendly to people, if you're trying to be allied with people, if you're trying to stand in solidarity with people, whatever you want to call it, that's something you always have to remember. You have to love people in the way that makes them feel loved. Um, I had a recent breakup with someone, um, who, insisted that they were protecting me, insisted that they were um, being supportive, but they were being supportive in a way that harmed me. And I had to like mm-hmm. continually say like, hey, this isn't the kind of support that I am looking for. And that's something that you always need to sort of be mindful of and remind people who aren't getting that message. Like, I get that you're trying to be friendly or good or, you know, or, or allied, but the thing you're saying is literally harming the people that you're trying to be allied with. And if you are, if, if that's something, if this is something that actually matters to you, these are the steps you're going to have to take. And that's not always an easy conversation to have either. Like if it comes to trans people, it might make more sense for me to have that conversation as a, as a, as a cis dude, because I can have that conversation without, without it being something that like, because it's low stakes for me, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I can have that conversation without without being harmed by it. I can have that conversation and still go home at night, you know? And that's not, you, you can't always just say like, you can't ask someone who is being harmed to educate the person that they're harming or the, the educate the person that's harming them. That's, right. that's right. not always going to be a productive thing. That's not always going to be um, a reasonable thing. Have you ever heard of um, White Nonsense Roundup? I, I, I think I, I have, but can yeah. you tell us what it, it is? It's a it's a it's a Facebook group um, right. where it's it's a group of white volunteers, and in like any public post, if you're getting into a debate, if you're getting into an argument about racial dynamics with a white person who is not trying to hear you, you can tag this group, White Nonsense Roundup, and they mm. show up with lightning speed. They show up wow. and they'll and they'll argue with this white person on your behalf. And in the couple of times that I've had to tag them into a post, they showed up and said basically the exact same thing I had been saying. And Mm. the person I was arguing with in both cases said, wow, thank you for explaining this to me, fellow white person. You know, now thank you for explaining this to me in a way that I understand. I'm going to go on and, and be better with my life now, despite hearing the same exact thing just from somebody who looked different than me. Wow. Hmm. wow. I mean, I'm, I want to say it's like that's like simultaneously sad and brilliant at the same time. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm glad they were there to jump in and, 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 and help the situation. And at the same time, like, I was so frustrated that yeah, they had to jump that in that and save the situation. Happen. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Wow. I'm liking their page right now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, yes. All right. Um, I want to, in talking about intentional communities and just polyamorous communities in general um you bring up another quote which i'm also going to say because i think it's really important for our listeners to hear um you say so it you end up having to present what seems obvious in a way that seems like just a positive option inclusivity has to be seen as a benefit to the community the lack of diversity has to be seen as a detriment to that community the person bringing up inclusivity kind of has to address a problem without calling attention to the fact that it even is a problem and has to address the people who have the ability to solve the problem without calling attention to the fact that those people created the problem in the first place. So from this, I mean, I just kept thinking throughout this book, I was like, when was the moment when you were like, okay, fuck, I need to make this book. I need to do this because people need to understand what we go through. Um, I've got this, I've got this thing in my head. Uh, I've got this, um, it's based on like some old Ricky Henderson quote. Like I have a thing about that. What's on the back of my baseball card? Like, what are my, what are the numbers on the back of my baseball (laughs) card say? And I use that as sort of a self-esteem thing where if I'm ever feeling bad about myself, I remember what's on the back of my baseball card. Like I am like I'm tall and I'm handsome and I've got a beautiful wife and I've got amazing partners and kids that, you know, kids that are fucking amazing kids. (laughs) And, and so like, it sort of pulls me out of like any depression that I'm in. Hmm. The thing about it is what I need to do better with is looking at the best, looking at the back of my baseball card and knowing when I need to step up to the plate because Hmm. I didn't start this on purpose. Um, I started talking about race and polyamory only because I was talking about my own experiences among my friends, among my family. Just, you know, it's just we're, we're having conversations about like our, our like experiences. And one of my partners, um, Rebecca Hiles, the Frisky Fairy, she jumped in and said, hey, you should write. You should write about this. You should mm-hmm. you should start. You, know, you should um, you should propose to do some workshops going forward and make that a thing that you do and it wasn't something that I had thought about it wasn't something I thought I could do but she suggested it and I started writing and it worked out and then at some point somebody else said hey maybe you should write a book about polyamory and I reached out to Thorn Tree Press my publishers and I had some other idea and I said hey I got this other idea I hear you're looking for polyamory books and they're like that's an okay enough idea but we've been hearing about this race and polyamory workshop that you've been giving maybe you should write a book about that so like I 
it wasn't something that I started on purpose. It was something that other people saw. They saw the numbers on the back of my baseball card and said, this is the spot in the lineup you should be at. You should be batting in. <laughs> and it, it just sort of worked out. Um, I started writing this book. Um, and Ruby Johnson, who does uh, Poly Dallas Millennium, yeah. Yeah, she posted the other the day show. and said... She's awesome. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She's the, one of the strongest people I know. Um, she tagged me in something the other day and said that I'm the first black American to write um, to have a polyamory book out and I hadn't even thought about it that way I don't even know if that's true if somebody comes and claims it I will hand it hand it over to them but until (laughs) until they do I'll take it and that's amazing to me you know that's that's black history welcome to black history (laughs) yeah you said it was mostly white women and I mean really we do have a white woman who wrote a polyamory polyamory author (laughs) on our 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 team here so yes that's awesome that you are the first black Uh person to do so yeah yeah yeah. I mean again I I don't know well Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm glad it's being well received. Again, I don't know if that's true. I'll. I will hold. I will hold the title till someone else comes in and and points to their own publication date. And yeah. But in the meantime, like that's it's an amazing place to sort of find myself. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. I'm going to pivot us just a tiny bit. Um... Because last week we recorded an episode on uh, cognitive biases and how they can, particularly how they can affect your relationships and how they can affect um, when you're dating. And in the book, you talked about, you know, racial preference in dating, about luxus preference in dating. And you specifically mentioned that, uh, you know, just because you didn't define the beauty standards to which you describe, it doesn't mean that they can't be redefined at all. Um, yeah. And I'd like to talk to you more about how that process of redefining beauty standards has been for you personally in your experience. Um, so I, um, I went to Howard University, which is a historically black college university. Um, it's actually where Chadwick Boseman, who, who uh, played uh, yeah. Black Panther, went to. Oh, hell and yeah. I just saw Black Panther a couple of days ago. I'm about to see it a couple days from now. So it's, it's, so it's in my head. Yeah, Emily um, and I just watched it last night, actually. Yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, it is so good. But um I went there and I know that when I when I started school and when I left school, I had a completely different beauty standard in those in those in those years because I found myself from going to growing up in a mostly white suburb to going to like a primarily black um uh environment that the things that I found beautiful on day 1 
they were still beautiful, but like the range had changed. Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of me being in spaces and, you know, changing people in my head from being a bundle of stereotypes to being full-fledged people with motivations and dreams and, you know, flaws and strengths and human beings. And I didn't go to school to do that. It was just something that naturally happened. So when I hear people say, well, I'm just not attracted to people of blah, blah, blah race, it reads as it reads as a lack of introspection because mm-hmm. the way we form attractions... Um, Part of a, a big part of how we how we form attractions is based on um, perceived social status, and that's a gut reaction based on the stereotypes and the socialization that we carry around. So mm-hmm. if if you can see like this wide diaspora of, of of black people, like if you go to Black Panther and watch that movie and not find anybody attractive, there's something. <laughs> I don't know else how that's possible. <laughs> oh you my know? god! How is that possible? <laughs> Yeah, but if that's a thing that you can do, like if you can go and look at, you know, Letitia Wright and uh, Lupita Nyong'o and and like and be like, well, neither of these people are attractive to me in any way. There's something more going on there than than the physical, and that's something that needs to be examined one way or the other. Because even if it's, if even if you think it's only limited to your dating life. It probably isn't. It's probably it probably plays out in the way that you treat your your friends who are people of color or other people of color who are like you know service staff or coworkers or you know just random people you see on the street. If if that's something you can carry around in your dating life, it probably carries around in other places that affect other people who notice it and can call it what it is. Yeah. yeah, actually, I, I just wanted to mention this from watching Black Panther last night. And don't worry, there are no spoilers if you haven't watched it yet, listeners. Uh, <laughs> is that there's a, a scene where um, a, a few of the characters go to Korea and they show up and they start speaking in Korean to like the employees at this establishment. And I, I found myself like I had this reaction at first of like, what? What's happening? To then, oh my God, this is fucking rad. And then realizing... I probably wouldn't have even thought anything of this if this was a white character who was doing it Mm. because we're so used to seeing the superheroes or the spies who like, yeah, of course he speaks 10 different languages. Like we don't even think about it. But the fact that it was black characters doing it, I was like, fuck, I don't know if I've ever seen this in a movie. And that was saddening and shocking, but also really cool that it's at least happening now in this movie. It was such a celebration. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so good. What's sort of amazing is that like there's a there's a lot of American American uh, pop culture that makes fun of African accents or what have you for one reason or another, mm. and like it's, it's not limited to like you know to like white representation. I know like uh, there's a black character, there's an African character in the show uh, Dear White People, which is a show I really enjoyed, and there are people who make fun of you know the, this one African character, but that African character, like a lot of African people. Like, that dude knows six languages. Like, English yeah. is his fifth of six languages. And, you know, how much How much of his language do you know? How much of his, of his languages yeah. do you know where you yeah. can make fun of his English, which comes out a little slanted? Right. Or to most yeah. Americans, how much of any other language do you actually yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, something to, to bring it back to our topic about uh, hidden biases and stuff like that. Uh, something that we actually talked about uh, somewhat recently, I guess it was a few episodes ago now, um, is something that I like to call the perils of intuition, which is in a lot of dating advice and things like that, people will say things like, trust your gut or, you know, go with your intuition on things. And while I think sometimes there can be some merit to that, if there's a part of you that's like telling you to get out of a toxic relationship or something, but like you mentioned in your book that you know, studies have been done showing that humans, we have a gut reaction to things and we react to it. And then later we go back mentally and we justify why we reacted the way we did. Uh, And that doing that, like on the subject of, you know, looksist or racial preferences or, you know, any number of other things in terms of our dating partners or even who we're friends with or things like that. uh, I feel like, trusting trusting your gut or your intuition like isn't enough like it's it's worth taking that extra step of being like 
but why? Like maybe I should challenge myself mm. on some of these things. Yeah, and I'm I'm very much a trust your gut person, but also like you know trust but verify. And mm-hmm. that's you know, a good that's way to put the, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 important. It's it's important only because we're dealing with other human beings, and what we can and what uh, the sort of the biases that we have for person A might, you know, for like the biases that we have for relevant person A might play out with completely unrelated persons B through D and we should know what's going on there. Like if it's trust your gut, I don't want to drink this Pepsi because maybe there's something in it, then it doesn't really hurt anybody. You can right. throw that, you know, throw that Pepsi in the trash and go get a different one. You're fine. But if you're, if you're, if it's about breaking people's hearts in polyamory, if it's about, you know, treating people poorly in just any everyday life situations, you got to know what's happening there. You got to understand where these things are coming from because it, you know, people's, People's lives can be on the line. There's, you know, every day in America, somebody looks out their window and sees a person entering their own home, a black person entering their own home, and might call the cops and say, well, I don't know that black person. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing um, my workshop about race and polyamory in Connecticut, and the host of the venue um offered us room to crash at her home and but she wasn't coming home so she said all right well here's the address to my home there's a key in the back uh by the back door just go get the key and go on in this is late at night Mm -hmm. i'm there with a white partner and i'm like i'm gonna stand by the car I don't want to like and like just like a general general male toxic masculinity male social socialization. I don't want to send my my girlfriend around to the back of a house in the dark to go digging for some hidden key. But at the same time, I'm like, she's white. I'm black. If I go digging around for some hidden key in some unfamiliar suburb. This could turn into any number of things because of somebody else's hidden biases that they don't really think that they have, that they don't feel like they walk around with. But once they see me behind that house looking for this key, all of a sudden, you know, that might pop up to my detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, um, along that line, I mean, we talked about in that, uh, in our, you know, cognitive biases episode, we talked about um, the empathy gap yeah. in general. Um, being something that is just there for all of us as human beings. And I know you called out like the racial empathy gap specifically. And I know M, you had something specifically you wanted to mention about that. Yeah, just I, I recall you speaking about um, the, you're like, if anyone has seen the movie Get Out, you had like your own get out party scene moment cool. um, yes. that you speak about in the book uh, and that you had a, you were at a party with your that was your white girlfriend's birthday party and that everyone was using microaggressions even though they themselves may have been thinking like oh i'm being kind to this person or i'm being inclusive in a way but they still had those cognitive biases there clearly and i don't know if you can talk about that a little bit because i because again it was a moment of being like holy shit like when have i done that have i done that i'm sure i've done that what can I do better next time, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just, um, you know, like you said, they, they, they all felt like they were being welcoming. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, there were so many different conver- there were so many different topics we could have been talking about for them to be welcoming. I mean, I was, I was the odd man out in terms of proximity because this was a, a distance away from where I live um, longevity because this was a relatively new girlfriend versus people who had known her for years longtime friends and roommates and romantic partners um, but they kept trying to engage me in conversation based on race in conversations that had nothing to do with race it was just, hey, I dated a black girl once, or hey, I had a black coworker, or just these, yeah. these completely random asides that had nothing to do with me as a person, and just it was just me as, as a race, and yeah. they they probably thought that they were being really friendly and really welcoming, and, and you know throwing an arm around me and bringing me into this party, and really they were just pushing me away over and over and over, and I didn't want to make a scene about it because there's already this prepackaged stereotype of the angry black guy. So if I make if I say like, hey, this is not all right, 
all of a sudden I'm ruining my girlfriend's birthday party by not being sensitive to the needs of the other party goers and it was a really frustrating situation and then when I watched that movie Get Out last year it was so hard to watch that scene because it felt the same and like another partner who was with me at that at that party she was with me the first time I saw Get Out Mm. And she leaned over to me and she she was like, yo, it was just like that party that one time. And I was thinking it the same. I was thinking (laughs) it right before she said it. It was so hard to watch because I'm watching um, Daniel Kaluuya, who's doing this brilliant acting job of keeping of keeping things like keeping like this. Keeping his shit together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just keeping it together. This low key rage that he's got to keep to a simmer because he doesn't want to ruin his girlfriend's family's party and everything like that. But you can see, like, he's uncomfortable and she's uncomfortable. And the other and the people who are making him uncomfortable don't notice it at all. Yeah. 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 I, I kind of want to want to do what you do a lot in the book, which is kind of bringing up some analogies to help people who don't have a personal experience with this to understand it. Um and I think maybe something that our listeners would relate to that, again, is probably just like a fraction of what your experience is. But um, I think when people are polyamorous and when they do open up to, like, to their friends or to coworkers or something like that, that they might be like, oh, so like I have a husband and I have a boyfriend. And then the coworker will come back at you with, oh, really? Wow. You know what? Like my girlfriend and I are trying to have a threesome, um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you're like, I didn't say anything about threesomes yeah. but uh, like the you know the forced I think ambassadorship that, you know, again, that you talk about a lot yeah like the, like yeah, yeah that the, the parallel obviously it isn't perfect and not nearly as intense but i think something that can relate to of you know experiencing these random asides that come in from nowhere again from someone who's probably very well-meaning and yeah. just trying to like thinking that they're meeting you at the same level when they're totally on like completely different Sides of the map, essentially. Oh, polyamory. Yeah, my girlfriend cheated on me once. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, exactly. God. Or I, I think, I feel like more often I get people being like, oh, gosh, wow, yeah, I've been terrible at monogamy. Um, yeah. That's it's like, I'm not terrible at monogamy. About. I'm good at polyamory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, I, right. I, I remember actually someone giving me a really good example of this uh, unrelated to polyamory or race at all, but was about having kids. And if someone with kids talks to someone else and they are like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean because of blah, blah with my pet. Uh, and you're just like, yeah. you have no fucking clue <laughs> oh, what having kids is all about if you think that's oh, even God. in the same neighborhood. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I respect people with pets and everything, and I I, res- I, res- <laughs> I I respect how difficult of a thing that is. And I, but like, what's it's going on? Like, I've got a yeah, I've got a pet, and I've got kids, and these are <laughs> night and day situations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so uh, I guess there isn't really a segue here, but <laughs> I really just want to talk about video games, honestly. Yes, um, because they're they're all throughout your book, and all three of us are, are video game nerds. Oh my god! Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, Jay, you had a specifically a question that I'm also interested okay, in. Okay, yeah, mine's a brief question. In the book, you mentioned that you have a tattoo of the, like, polyamory infinity heart that's adapted from the Assassin's Creed logo. Which is so cool. Um, if you if you take a look at um, my my Twitter page, um, which is at Poly Role Models, uh-huh. that is the logo for my, my Twitter page. Um, oh, okay, yeah. nice. I... I Doing it right now. I really enjoyed <laughs> yeah, I the Assassin's like, Creed uh, uh-huh. series. Um, Assassin's Creed Revelations was probably my favorite one out of the bunch. The way they wove Altair and Ezio's stories. Yeah. And then at the end, when he gives this explanation of of the Creed itself, when he gives this explanation of the Creed about like um, nothing is true, everything is permitted, right. it sort of played into like my own ideas about polyamory in terms of the societal structure that I've been given isn't true. What I want to do with my life, as long as I'm not harming myself and others, is permitted. Like That's just sort of what I took from it. So I wanted to get the Assassin's Creed logo tattooed anyway. So when I found a way to sort of tie it into polyamory by f- stylizing it, flipping it upside down, and adding the infinity to it, yeah, I, that was that was an instant move right there. Oh, yeah, that looks awesome! I'm looking at it now. It looks really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if 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 so all cool. of you listeners want to check it out, go to Poly Role Models on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. 
And I love that, you know, you also shared this wonderful story about um, being at a conference and, and bonding with another conference goer uh, about uh, uh, Bioware games specifically. Um, yeah. Like about Mass Effect and about Dragon Age. Um, and, you know, that in that instance, uh, this person who turned out to be a trans woman, you know, brought up, you know, the trans character that was in Dragon Age. Um, now in uh, Mass Effect. Nope. Oh in no, it's the Dragon Age, Age one. Yeah. Okay. In Dragon Age. In Dragon Age 3, yeah. Krem. Yeah. 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 Um, voiced by Jessica. Jessica Hale, right? Um, Jennifer Hale, my favorite voice Jennifer actor. Jennifer Hale, ever. sorry. Yeah, yeah, Jennifer Hale. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a wonderful example that you shared of, you know, kind of avoiding othering, of kind of finding where are the places where we're the same rather than the places where we're different. Um, and I think... Uh, Honestly, video games are a great candidate for that. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're they're trying to do so much better with that now in terms of representation. Um, I'm glad I found a way to wedge it into the book, but something I've been talking about for a while is um, the character of Delson Rowe in Infamous Second Son, mm. where as far as I can research, Delson is like the only character of native descent like in like a in like a big budget game he's mm -hmm. like the only protagonist of a native uh, of native descent who doesn't have to be of native descent yeah you mentioned Where, that yeah yeah like every, every other character is like dealing with specifically like native american I issues or they have like some stereotypical set of uh native american powers or backgrounds or what have you so like you couldn't like pop a white guy in there or a black guy in there and like the story remained the same but delson yeah no nah, delson you can put any he's he's the only native american any man every man right in that i've ever seen in a video game and it was so unheralded i mean it was a good game and it got good reviews and everything like that but that aspect of it was so unheralded that i that that was like sort of a missed opportunity to notice something magic that happened there yeah mm -hmm. yeah that reminds me, um, I know we've all three of us talked about this in various iterations over the years, and I feel like we've seen in modern day video games, like some people trying to incorporate polyamory into their romance systems and not really being super effective about it. Do you think we're ever going to get like really good, well-written, effective, like polyamory romance tracks? I just want the Link to be polyamorous. AAA title. The closest, um, <laughs> the closest polyamory that I've seen in any game is um, like Fallout. And it's oh. not really that it's not really what they were doing. It's just right. you can romance multiple characters and none of them really reference the others. Right. Yeah, that like that's that's that I think that's that that is the closest that we've gotten like is that just the polygamy. option for multiple characters. Yeah, but there's no like actual I don't know, acknowledgement of what's going on, I suppose. I mean it's yeah. uh it's such a disappointment to me that that bioware doesn't do that because bioware does so much right in terms of representation mm -hmm. they do so much right in terms of like character development i mean mass effect is 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 my life um i've got a uh, the assassin's creed tattoo but the one that means the most to me is I, i've got like an n7 tattoo mm -hmm. from Bi from mass effect oh, on my chest nice. and nice. so when someone's like oh hey i see you in an n7 sweatshirt I pull off that sweatshirt to reveal that I'm wearing an N7 t-shirt. And then I pull off that t-shirt to reveal that I've got an N7 tattoo. And then we start talking about, you know, like the, the, the woman in that story is probably the third or fourth person that I've randomly had Bioware geek out sessions about just because yeah. I was wearing some gear. Mm-hmm. I love that you're you're three levels deep and seven. Yeah. Quiet. So wait, are you a PlayStation person or an Xbox person? I'm a PlayStation person. Okay. Um, I currently own a 360, and I only have three games: Mass Effects One, wow. Two, and Three. That's yeah. the only reason why I own a 360. It's all you need, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's all you need. Wow. Um. So this has been fantastic. Yeah. We're about to run out of time, but uh, Kevin, can you let our listeners know where they can find more of your stuff? All right. Well, um, the easiest place to find all of my stuff is uh, polyrollmodels.tumblr.com or facebook.com slash polyrollmodels. Um, I would steer people towards the Facebook page because that's where my events appear. Um, I'm doing a book tour for Love's Not Colorblind. I'm going to be... Um, 
going forward, I'm going to be in Tucson for Southwest Love Fest. Woo! I'm gonna be We're going to be there uh, as well, so we'll see you there. Yeah, yeah, you will. Uh, I'm going to be all over California, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles. I'm going to be all over the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm going to be in New York, Philly, the D.C. area, Atlanta, Dallas. I'm going to be basically everywhere possible to... <laughs> to um, to to show out for Love's Not Colorblind. Pre-orders are available on Amazon.com. It's going to be releasing on uh, March 30th. Um, I would, would love for people to buy the book. I would also love for people to show up to the book signings because it's going to be me talking about race and polyamory and if you've ever seen me talk about anything, I'm always inviting people to, to, to share their experiences. It's more, a, it's not a lecture, it's a group, it's a, it's a led discussion. And I want to have as many people as part of the conversation as possible. And also, you know, selling a book. Yeah. Of course, of course. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Kevin. And I guess hopefully we'll see you around on the book tour. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be at Southwest Love Fest, you're going to be at the almost the very first leg. Right, and that's in early April for everyone out yes, there. Yes, weekend uh, in April. And there's still time to get tickets, which I would encourage you to do because you'll get to see us present about polyamory and fictional media. You get to see Kevin present about his book. Are you doing a specific workshop besides that? Um, I'm doing a workshop on, on race and polyamory, and I'm doing a workshop on masculinity and polyamory. I love that. Um, I'll be there for that I, one. I gave that workshop at a Poly Living Philadelphia, and it went so incredibly well. It was such That's a awesome. cathartic and vulnerable and introspective space. Um, a lot of tears were flowing, both on the panel mm. and in the audience. It was such a magical moment that, like... It, I, I'm eager to do the workshop again. I really am. That's so cool. That's a subject that's, that's near awesome. and dear to my heart as well. So yeah. I definitely want to come check that out. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Kevin. And we will see you then. Right, thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.